With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Hey, it's Alicia. As you know, we record these conversations weeks, sometimes months in advance. So know that the next few episodes were recorded before the protests we've seen across the country. If we're not talking about them, it's because we spoke before they happened. She says she never saw real girls like her on TV and that girl protagonists rarely grew up to do something great. So after rising up the Hollywood ranks from assistant to writer, Ilana Peña created a show about a Latina who grows up to be president of the United States. And today, Diary of a Future President streams on Disney+. So thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to talk to you. Likewise. Growing up, what were you watching on TV? What was I watching on TV? I was actually just thinking about this because I have a lot of, you know, TV writer friends who are like, I was parked in front of the TV and I watched, you know, every episode of Malcolm in the Middle or every episode of this. And there were shows that my family watched together. Boy Meets World was one of them. And the Olsen twins were huge for me. Um, they had this show called Two of a Kind where their dad was a professor and dated the babysitter and I loved it. Um, and Lizzie McGuire was also big, but I was thinking about it and like, besides Jeopardy, which my family also watched religiously, the, the art that I was consuming the most was books, which is like such a typical me thing to say, but I was thinking about like, where did I fall in love with complex young girls because it wasn't really TV because there wasn't a ton. Um, It was books. It was like Beverly Cleary Mm -hmm. and Lois Lowry and Phyllis Reynolds Naylor and Meg Cabot, who wrote The Princess Diaries. And it was all these, there were series of books. It was basically TV shows. It was series of books about teenage girls growing up and I would devour them. And I was like 
a reader. So when my TV writer friends get together and it's like, oh, I was like a student of television. I like watch TV, but I was like a student of books. And that's what I was reading. And that's like how I, you know, that's where girls could be flawed. That's where, you know, Anastasia Krupnik could like hate her little brother and like, Alice and her friends could like talk about boys in the, the way that like wasn't watered down. You know, that's where the girls were complicated. Diary is a coming of age story. What were you like in middle school? I was similar to Elena in a lot of ways. I cared a lot about school. Um, I you know, in like seventh grade, we had to mark how many pages we were reading on a little index card. And my, like, I was very proud of the fact that I kept asking for more index cards. Like, that's the kind of kid I was. We would have been very Um, good friends in sixth grade. We would have only had each other, but we would have been really good friends. I shared it with nobody except maybe my mom. I'd be like, like, it's not like my, all my friends were like that. I was just like, hee hee, like moving on. Cause I read for pleasure. Um, I was, you know, my, my mom got remarried and I moved when I, right before I started sixth grade and I started a new school in sixth grade. So I think one of the reasons that like that time of life is fascinating to me is because I was totally starting over and I was starting over at a time when I wanted to like defy the mold and like be different. And I cut my hair off to my ears I mean, rebellious in the way that like a type A studious kid is rebellious, where like I would wear, you know, I got glasses and I would wear purple glasses and stuff like that. And I I was not a cool kid by any means because I was so myself. And I do feel like a lot of my adult life has been trying to like retrieve that person back because that's the purest I ever was. I feel that. So right? deeply. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. A lot of similarities to Elena, you already laid out, you know, the the mom getting remarried, being studious. Mm-hmm. In what other ways does Elena's life resemble your own? Um, well, probably the biggest is the the grief aspect. I think a lot of kids of grief feel this. It's like grief has been an engine in my life rather than a break. It's been something that's propelled me. It's been something that has inspired me to create in general in a lot of ways because I lost my dad when I was a lot younger than Elena was. I was five years old and I was very, when I found out and like my mom told me, I knew that it was sad and saw everyone around me crying, but I didn't have like the words to, I was just kind of like, I know this is bad, but I'm not crying myself. And I like kind of pretended to cry. Mm. And I always say that my life in the arts has been like me doing years of work and studying emotions and being obsessed with feelings and characters and relationships so that I could understand that one moment when I didn't know how to cry. So grief is a is a big one. I wanted to tell a story about grief that wasn't a tragedy. I see a lot of people that are like, you know, oh, Disney, of course there's a dead parent. And I'm like, because I guess that ha- that's in a lot of Disney shows, but it's my real life. And then I'm Cuban-American and I grew up, Elena's mom is Cuban and, you know, she's Canero Reed. But for me, it was flipped. My dad was born in Cuba. I, that was just such a, you know, my dad was so proud of two things, being Cuban and being American which I think is true for a lot of exiles and a lot of people who come to this country because they want the freedom. And it's funny because I've always wanted to tell a coming of age girlhood story, but I didn't have the hook till like the president part came like 
kind of at the end for me in my creative process of like, what's the way in? Who is this girl? But then when I landed on it, I was like, oh, of course, it's a love letter to this American dream. It's all my dad wanted was for me to know that I could do anything. The day he turned 18, he registered to vote. He was like obsessed with freedom and obsessed with this opportunity. And it like always, once I found it, I was like, of course, I'm going to tell a story about this, you know, daughter of a of a Cuban exile that um, grows up to be the thing that her dad would have wanted her to be. Did writing that and exploring that on the show give you a new window into your own grief? Yes. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the short answer is yes. I mean, this was the coolest thing I've ever done. I owe a lot of it to a person who is not here to watch it happen. You forget that the good times bring on the grief too. And like, you know, my mom and my stepdad came to the premiere. My family had a viewing party in Miami and like FaceTimed me as they watched it together. And, but there's like one person who's not there. And it's like, in a lot of ways, like the reason I am who I am. So that's ever complicated. You are younger than I am, but even for you, talking about girlhood is like 20 years ago. Yeah. So how did you access that perspective in a way that felt authentic and timely? You know, it's funny. It's when we pitched the show, I read from my 12-year-old diary. Um, I read from this diary that I, I don't know if you kept journals, but a lot of my friends that I've talked to, specifically my female friends, the journals that they kept were written almost for this like invisible audience. <laughs> Like you write like someone's going to read it, even though it would be the worst thing if someone ever read it, which is so performative and so TV. Um, So I read from my diary and it's so funny. It's like that person, that 12 year old girl who was like, I'm putting on a show, but I'm exploring these feelings, but not like too much yet, but maybe here. That's like who I am now. And I, you know, I grew up like, When I was 12 years old, if you had said, like, you're going to create a TV show, I would have been like, of course. Yeah, that sounds great. That I didn't even know that was a thing. But now that you've told me that, like, that sounds like everything I want to do. And then I think if you would have told me that when I was like 24 and I was, you know, writing my own stories and felt like nobody was reading them, I would have been like, I mean, that'd be great. But like, how and who? And so accessing that 12 year old part that was like, oh, of course, like, this is what I meant to do. I have the confidence and the belief in myself, you know, that I feel like I accessed it. I feel like getting to that part was also a big part of selling the show. It is hard to find the time to do just about anything. And when you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. Well, there is an incredible app that solves this problem. I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is pretty unique and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Blinkist is made for busy people like me, like you, who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information right away. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, to history books. I like Blinkist because I can use it anytime, anywhere, when I only have 10 minutes. I've read these books and I highly recommend you check them out. 
My Beloved World by Sonia Sotomayor, and of course, Becoming by Michelle Obama. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Latina. Try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Latina to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash Latina. You made the one of the leaps that I think can feel impossible for a lot of people, and that's the leap from assistant mm-hmm. on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend to writer on the same show. Yeah. How did you do that? A lot of people are like, wow, you you did this thing. It, it happened overnight. Like, that's amazing. And it Crazy Ex was my fifth job out of college. I, I was years out. I had been like in the slog of assistanthood, I had done, you know, a lot of the stories you hear that assistants have done. I had wonderful bosses, but I was, you know, sending reminders for eye doctor appointments at 7.30 a.m. Like I was doing everything that was unrelated to my writing. And assisting is really complicated because if you're really good at it, you almost can never get out from being an assistant. Yeah, and I was unfortunately pretty good at it. Yeah, no, your your competence can actually be your your downfall. Exactly. And I was kind of finding that and I was finding that I was in these jobs. And I, a thing that I tell people, if you're in a, in a privileged enough position to be able to leave a job, know when to leave because you can get caught and stuck and people can like you because you're most people that I'm giving advice to are competent and smart and interesting and also like a generally good hang. And if someone can can get that, they want to hang on to that. Um, so I landed on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend as a showrunner's assistant to Aline Brosh McKenna and Rachel Bloom. And it felt different for the biggest reason it felt different was because the show was so in line with my own sensibility. This is the show that everyone talks about, like, you know, if there's something that's your voice, you know, go after it. And this was my voice. So it felt different for that reason. And then it felt different because of my bosses. And I, that's, you know, all of this is luck and it's luck plus years and years of the slog. But Aline Brosh McKenna and Rachel Bloom are, they nurture young women. They care about promoting women. Uh, from the first interview, I had mentioned I was a writer. I had mentioned I had just shot a short film and they like would honor that by giving me tasks like we would have comedy twitters for the like some of the characters on the show Aline would be like wouldn't it be funny if you know the law firm had its own twitter so I would be writing like puns about law and that would that was like part of my like audition I realized or even like they were you know they had to write a a letter for something and they would be like Alana can you do the first draft of this and it was like not you know I, I wasn't going in there and writing scenes for them, but I was showing them that I could write and I was showing them that I cared. And then a position to be the writer's assistant came open, which is the position that takes notes as all the writers talk. So I was in the building, but writer's assistant is in the room. And I, I was so excited and I took that position and, and I remember it was actually, it was my birthday and I pitched my first joke basically 
I like pitched a visual joke that didn't make it in, but it like got a laugh and made it into the script. And Aline got out her phone and took a picture of me and tweeted it and said, our writer's assistant just pitched her first successful joke, like happy birthday. I was like, well, this is the room I'm in. And I learned everything about being a writer from that room because that gave me the, gave me the allowance to keep pitching and to just, you know, my, I was like, my voice is necessary. And then I started pitching larger things and I started pitching story And then there was an episode about a big mental health episode. And Aline and Rachel said, do you want to co-write this with us? And I was like, yeah. And that was my like next audition. And then when I was able to be on set for that, I was able to work with the director. I was able to like let, you know, the vision, like watch the vision from page to screen. And then, you know, luckily the show got a fourth season and and they said, um, do you want to basically stay in the room, but move over a seat? That's amazing. You then make what is truly the hardest leap to make, which is to go from being a writer to creating and executive producing your own show. Tell me what it looked like to bring Diary to life. It feels like I dreamed it in a lot of ways. Because you're right, it was like I, I was still kind of getting over the shock and excitement of being in the room. And now I was helping to run the room and I was calling shots and people were coming to me and saying, what's your vision for this? It wasn't that long ago that I was like, do I pitch? I, I used to write in outlines or scripts when I would write my notes on Crazy X, I would write maybe. <laughs> I would be like, maybe, you know, she talks more about her fear here so it lands more in the later beat. And I would literally write the word maybe because I wasn't sure if I was right. And I went from having written the word maybe and pit like saying maybe to having to be like, yes, 100% and standing in my own power. And that was the biggest lesson and the biggest thing. And it was honestly, that's part of tapping into that 12-year-old girl of someone who knew what she wanted and someone who, if and, and the craziest thing, because I remember being nervous that I wouldn't know what I wanted and that I wouldn't be able to access that power. But when somebody is a good collaborator and is having a conversation with you and says, what do you think? You can answer and they, you can talk with them. And I was very, very lucky to have wonderful collaborators who continued to champion my vision and my voice. And I found myself being able to be like, well, this is what it should be and not saying maybe anymore. I feel like the biggest thing of, you know, last year, whatever time is, whenever the year was that we made the show was like crossing off the word maybe because I would find myself still doing it when I would be reading a writer's script, a writer that was like sharing in the vision that I had for the show. I would be like, maybe da 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 da. And sometimes you need maybe. Sometimes I'm not sure and you want to talk it out. But sometimes like I am sure and I don't need to say maybe. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads. What did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. 
There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pamper Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size 8. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the ball is filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. When when you found out that the show was getting picked up, was going to be put into production, you called your mom. What did she say? She cried. I remember it was like a very cinematic moment for me. I was on the lot of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and the sun was setting. <laughs> and I called my mom and I was like, I think they want all 10 episodes. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, they don't. Because I was hoping to sell a pilot. I was like, Crazy X is ending. It'd be great to, to, you know, sell a pilot. So I have something in the back burner. She cried. I think that whenever I share news like that with my mom, we both, without saying it, are like, God, how cool would it be? Like, if your dad could be here. And that's like, anytime my mom cries, I know that that's part of it. And then, of course, I probably was like, you can't tell anybody yet. And then she gets very militant with that and, like, really doesn't tell anybody because <laughs> she's like me. And then we have this little secret for a little, which is nice. But, yeah, I think that, you know, my mom experienced kind of like the worst case scenario. <laughs> and from the way she raised me and my brother, you would never know because of how much joy we live our lives with and how much, you know, we share those joys with her. And I think that's just always part of it. And, and especially, I mean, my dad was a lawyer that my parents met in law school, but he wanted to be a writer. It's always like I'm communicating with my dad and kind of living out this thing that he, you know, wasn't able to fully live out. So that's always in the air whenever I tell my mom good news. You've said that there was concern about diary being perceived as niche. What does that mean and what have you done to avoid that? I think that there, when there's a show about a girl, unfortunately, it, it is for girls. And if there's a show about a boy, it's not just for boys. It's for everybody. <laughs> and I don't, 
Yeah, it's for everybody. It's Wonder Years. It's it's Malcolm in the Middle. It's it's every it's family viewing. It's you know Boyhood. It's literally the movie Boyhood. Um, but I do think if there was a girlhood, it would be a chick flick. And I and I you know I was conscious of that, and I really wanted to write a story that the whole family could watch together, while also celebrating girlhood, while also not shying away from talking about your first bra or talking about you know, your crushes on boys because, and I said this in my pitch too, it's like, you know, the boyhood stories almost like, like they're ingrained in you of like the textbook in front of the boner at school and like stuttering before you ask a girl on a date and like a big brother being like, come on, dude, I'll teach you how to be a man. We don't have a template for girlhood. We just don't. And I'm not saying that diary is in any way. I think that I hope that diary can open the door so that more people can see it and be like, this is a show, you know, she has a brother, she has a mom, she has friends, she has ambitions that are universal and specific. And I think in the writer's room, we were always trying to, you know, tell stories that were universal and appeal to to whole families and also appeal. I mean, a bunch of adults wrote this show. It's a show that I think mothers are watching with their daughters and families are watching together, which I'm so grateful for. I also wanted it to be a show that like, if I was sitting at home, I could turn on Disney plus and I could laugh just me by myself because I remember what it's like. And then I could call my mom where even if I wasn't, you know, even if you're not quarantining with your whole family, you were a kid once and you can remember what that's like and you can, you know, And so when you are a parent sitting there, when you are a mother sitting with your daughter, you're not, you know, on your phone or thinking about the 8 million other things you're engaging and you're, you know, it is a family show. And I think that that's, I think that that's what I, I set out to do is make this a show as much as I love, you know, the shows I grew up on the Lizzie McGuire's Hannah Montana, that's so Raven. They were on the network for just kids. And then the boy shows were on the networks for the whole families. And I I wanted to make something that we could all watch together. Tanya Siracho, um, creator, showrunner, Vida, um, Gloria Calderon-Kellett, One Day at a Time, count both of them among your mentors. How did you cultivate those relationships? I met Tanya because I was, I had a staffing meeting on Vida. And I couldn't do it because it conflicted with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but she'd read my work and she was excited to meet me. And I, I remember I felt bad having to be like, oh, I have to take myself out of the running. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is, is going to come back and and I, I'm going to be promoted. And I, I had people telling me like, you're going to burn that bridge. Like, she's not going to want to work with you. You've like you know, you, you've pro- you've made it seem like you were available. And I was like, I didn't know if it was coming back. And da, da, da. it was, and then I remember a couple weeks later was like my first Latina TV writers brunch. Cause we get together and we have brunch quarterly and I knew Tanya was going to be there. And I was so nervous because everyone's voice was in my head about how I was going to burn that bridge. And like voices that knew the industry were telling me that. And I remember I walked in and she gave me the, she looked, I was like, I'm Alana, like, da, 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 like, remember me? And she was like, oh my God, of course, like, you were maybe going to work on our show. And she gave me the biggest hug, introduced me to all the Vida writers. I sat with them and she was my sister immediately. 
And she was like, I'm so excited that you're going back to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Like another showrunner wanted you. How awesome. And then like a couple weeks later, she heard of a feature opportunity and she emailed me and she's like, do you have a feature? Send it to me. And like, it was, you know, she just wanted to lift me up. And I was so caught up in the like Hollywood, you know, if you let someone down, they won't talk. That's not the way Tanya works. That's not the way kind giving mentors work. And Gloria, I met her because I talked to her on the phone like years ago. I don't, I wonder if she'd even remember years ago when I was just an assistant and I asked for advice because I had a friend who took an improv class with her. Gloria and her husband would like take improv classes together for like fun. And my friend was like, oh my God, Alana, like you and Gloria, you have so much in common. And so she gave me like 15 minutes of her time. I sat in the car on the Crazy X parking lot and she just listened to me and she talked to me about, gave me advice on getting a manager on my own work. She said, I will keep you in mind. And then when I saw her at like the next Latina brunch, it was like, oh, Gloria, like I did it. Like, thank you for your advice. It was, it's just these women whose goals is to lift people up. And there's the Untitled Latinx Project, which is this group of women we just, submissions, you know, closed today for this, you know, Latinx TV list, which is like the blacklist, but for Latinx writers. And it's like the, we, we still meet, we met on Zoom the other day, the, it's always about lifting other people up. It's always about like, what can we, we are here, like we've gotten in the room, you know, and, and how do we make it so that we don't let any of our sisters leave any of them behind? I want to loop back around to something you said, which is so deeply resonant for me, which is that you were most yourself at 12. And then other people mm-hmm. beat that out of you and you are coming back now to being that person. I'm so happy for you that it's happening at the age you are now because it can take <laughs> longer. Um, what happened along the way that you lost that sense of self? It's <sighs> a good question. You know, I think growing up can be really beautiful and I think growing up can be really scary. And a lot of the things that made me me and that I, you know, parts of myself that I loved were not necessarily like cool. I was trying to fit a mold of what I thought I should be. And whether that was with the group of girls that, you know, would make fun of me behind my back when I was 16 or like the boyfriend that kind of made me feel small. You really, you sure you want to be in this, the arts? Like that doesn't sound very practical, like stuff like that. The people in my life that like all the things about me that were like these, the sparkly things that made me tick. There were people who would be like, like, I remember there, there were girls I was friends with and they thought I was too nice and I would defend people they would make fun of. So I was like a wet blanket and they didn't want to hang out with me. But of course, when you don't want to hang out with someone in high school, you just don't invite them to something. And then you find out and like, I would just like feel devastated. And, and you know, I think also I didn't have like a clear path necessarily. I was like, I wanted to act for a while. I wanted to direct, I still do. And I wanted to write and I didn't know what that looked like. And I, I kept, I think, fearing that it wouldn't work. You know, my family's all pretty practical and, and their, their paths are very set. And I didn't want to waste all this money on my theater degree if I couldn't do it. And, and I think I was like, I was scared I wouldn't do it. And then 
by the time I went to college, I found people that were kind of my people. But I think growing up, you, um, a lot of people try to tell you that the things that make you special are the worst parts about you. <laughs> and then you have to be like, well, no, that's the thing that actually inspired me to write my first play. Or that's the thing like, oh, you think that I'm like too nice? Well, that made me a really good boss when I had my own TV show. You know, like there's, I feel like growing up is a very, um, you can lose sight of your own voice. And I, I started to, and then I was lucky that I knew I had, I was expressing myself in whatever way I was, whether I was in a play or writing a story. And that was how I always returned back to it. Alana, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was great. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lentigua-Williams and me, Alicia Menendez. Cedric Wilson is our producer. Manuela Bedoya is our social media editor. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. And remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you are listening. And please leave a review. It is one of the quickest ways to help us grow as a community. update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. 